You can find the mileposts anywhere. One of the things I've said about them is that they don't disappear from the face of the earth. They're, they're all somewhere, and that's what makes this kind of a really fun treasure hunt. Thank you for tuning in to High Green, the official podcast of the Boston and Maine Railroad Historical Society. High Green is funded by your membership in the society, and any opinions expressed throughout the show are solely those of the owner. As always, if you'd like to learn more about our organization or join us, you can find our website, www.bmrrhs.org. Perhaps this story hasn't been told in B&M circles, but no. it's, it's a B&M story and it's a good one. Oh my God, he says, I don't think I ever saw a train down here before. <laughs> he was amused. <laughs> I still have that wanderlust. I still want to go back rowing. Tonight on High Green, we're talking all about mileposts. While much of the Boston and Maine system is just a memory, many pieces of its infrastructure still exist, either waiting to be discovered in the woods or preserved in plain sight as a monument for what once was. Possibly the most ubiquitous and fascinating of these items are the mileposts which once lined all B&M tracks from the main lines to the rural branch lines. These posts were a vital part of the B&M system and oftentimes would survive long after lines had been abandoned or upgraded for more modern railroad operations. Ken Jackman has spent much time documenting these mileposts from all corners of the B&M system and trying to piece together what in many ways is a lost piece of B&M history. A resident of Maine, Ken also works on the Down East Scenic Railroad. Ken, welcome to High Green. Hi, Andrew. Thank, thanks for having me this evening. Um, looking forward to our discussions. Uh, the pleasure's all mine, Ken. Um, I'll just kick us off at the, we can start at the beginning here. How did your interest in hunting down and cataloging all these mileposts get started? Uh, just sort of take us back to the beginning, if you would. Yeah, well, it, it, it goes back quite a ways. Um, I'm going to go back to uh, my, my uncle, Ted Wells. Uh, many of you out there may remember uh, my uncle Ted, who I will say uncle Ted from now on. Um, he uh, was a teacher at Milton Academy for over 42 years. Um, but as well as being a teacher there, he, he also had the interests of the Boston and Maine well at hand. He grew up in Melrose Highlands. And you know, as we get interests from others, uh, sometimes we get interested in things just because we're, we, we get those interests, but many times we get them from people that were around or relatives. And in my case, Uncle Ted um, brought the interest of railroads in. The story goes, um, my my grandmother, his his mom, uh, when they when he was growing up in Melrose Highlands, uh, they'd go down to the station, and the story goes he used to tell that as a as a kid in a baby carriage, he would not allow my grandmother to uh, bring him back from the Melrose Highlands station until the uh, semaphore blades had returned to clear. And if she tried to bring him back, he would start crying <laughs> as loud as he could. So that, that kind of uh, brought 
you know, he brought the interest along and my grandfather with his photography. And so signals obviously became a, a very big interest in his, of his. And um, I think, and I don't, don't know the years specifically, I wanna say late forties, uh, maybe even earlier. I became friends with uh, Bill Hartzell, who was signal engineer of the Boston and Maine. And once a year, Mr. Hartzell would come out to 37 Ashland Street for a fireside chat, they called it, uh, to discuss everything B&M signals. And they'd sit around the fire and have tea and whatever and, and enjoy talking about signals. Well, uh, Uncle Ted told me that uh, Bill Hartzell brought out all the signal plans uh, to one of the meetings and gave them to Uncle Ted for a weekend and said, here you go. And as Uncle Ted said, well, there weren't Xeroxes back, back in those days. And he took the full two days and copied every single signal diagram by hand, um, which he kept through the years. And he was very, you know, he kept anything and everything <clears throat> and would, would reference it when, whenever he needed to. And, and, uh, that, that would be kind of an important thing later on when we started out. Uh, I, I wanted, I knew he knew so much about B&M signaling and, and stuff like that. I knew I could learn a lot. I, as I grew older, I became more and more interested. What is the B&M really? It has to be far beyond Ocean Park where I ended growing up. No, that's not Ocean Park, New Jersey. It's Ocean Park, Maine, located in uh, Old Orchard Beach. Well, I taught in Damascata, and he, when he retired, uh, moved to the cottage behind our cottage that we had two cottages in Ocean Park, and that was his. And when he retired in 1993, he moved to that cottage, and I viewed that as an opportunity to, to get so much more information out of him now that he had the time. Uh, you know, once in a great while, while he was at Milton Academy, we, we might get together and look at a signal or two, but I never really got a lot. Uh, but when he retired, I used to come home on Fridays from Damascata, and uh, we would have dinner together. And then it led to a slideshow, potpourri. And it was always those slides through the 40s, 50s, and 60s of the BNM and Canadian National. And, but a slideshow with him was never really just a slideshow. It was, it was, he would never say, here's a picture of. He, he would say, well, where are we? Or tell me about this. Or what's wrong with this picture, Ken? <laughs> and uh, he'd say, what? You don't notice it? And so uh, he had always been the teacher and, um, you know, it was kind of just like being in class. As an, and as a matter of fact, my love of signals, uh, which I got from him uh, when I was at Colby College in 1984, um, I designed for myself a one credit course uh, in B&M signaling. And uh, I spent the month of January in Milton, uh, down in Milton with him. And he would give me blank uh, track diagrams. And he would say, okay, Ken, I want you to lay out 
all the signal aspect sequences and see how close you come to those of the Boston and Maine. And he still got all these track charts because he um, was given any time the Boston and Maine made upgrades on, on the signal sequences and aspects, the B&M would send to him, although not a B&M employee, they would send to him their updates for his approval, <laughs> which, which was pretty neat. So he's exceptionally knowledgeable with all that. And well, <clears throat> the fun thing about it was my, my final exam is going to be a head end ride out to Fitchburg, take the passenger train out, a commuter rush passenger train. And he said, your exam is going to be to call out all the aspects. And I said, oh, you know, great. <laughs> so we went out on January I want to say 28th. Well, it was the evening before the drawbridge burned um, in Boston. No, I'm not to blame for that. No. <laughs> but it was great because we had the road foreman of engines, of course, aboard. And we got out to Tower H. And we came to a stagger red, red dwarf. And there was a red, red vertical dwarf in, ahead of it. And my uncle asked, well, why? Why don't you uh, why don't you advance? You can stop and proceed, go to the next one. He goes, I like to stop here if I get red, red. Well, an inbound passenger train, this is on the way out. An inbound passenger train crossed over, and, and I didn't get what was going on, but he did. An inbound passenger train crossed over, crossed in front of us, went around <laughs> Tower H, and he stopped, and then he backed up. <laughs> and went back onto the inbound track. This is in the middle of commuter rush. Well, my uncle knew that the engineer had accepted bottom yellow where he should not have accepted bottom yellow. And he's there with a grin and the road foreman is turning as red as red can be with anger. And my uncle turns to me and he goes, well, Ken, he goes, that, that looked like a reenactment of the gull. <laughs> But the road foreman was not happy about that. Anyway, I'll jump back to 1993. And with all the photos and all, we shared some particular interests too, and crossing protection was one of them. And he, we, we enjoyed wigwags especially. And the beginning of how it all started was essentially with that. And I'll just circle back and say, you know, when, when he did the slideshow, if I had any questions, he had all his files piled up in corners and I'd ask him a question and he'd put his glasses in his mouth and go, hmm, oh, I think I know where I can find that. And sure enough, he'd go through these piles and pull out a paper. Is this what you're looking for? And you look around and it's like a library and you say, how did he know that? <laughs> Those of you who knew my uncle knew he... He, he had things, even when they didn't look, to, look arranged, they were arranged. And, and the great thing was, you know, anytime I had a question, it, it was always, he, he would either have the answer for it, and if he couldn't, he would try his hardest to look for it. And that's the thing I loved about following him around, is he never, never made it seem like he knew the answers, but he was always willing to try to research those answers. Mm. Um, and, and that kind of led to our first trip. 
And as I said, you know, we, we had an interest in, in, wig, in wigwags. So um, he said to me one, one day, he goes, Ken, on your vacation, he goes, Let, let's, go to, uh, let's go to Wilton. He goes, the last wigwag I know of on the B&M exists at Wilton. He goes, let's go see it work. I said, great. So we went out to Wilton, and unfortunately, you know, we got there, and it was a gray day, and the tracks were snow-covered, and uh, there was obviously not going to be any trains, and we knew he knew the wigwag was going to come down pretty soon. And, but, you know, it was just, a trip with him was just never a trip, because he knew, in case that didn't work, he had taken <laughs> track profiles, track charts, signal diagrams, gazetteers, all the old topographic maps. I mean, he piled it into my Honda Civic, you know, you know, full to the gills. There had to be paper bags of rolled up topos everywhere and anything just in case. You always have to have a plan B, right? You know? Yeah, plan, he had a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, you name it, right through Z. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, it, it was always just so much fun. You know, he was ready to do whatever research there was going to be. And uh, in my civic, you know, it's, the police had to wonder, what are they going on? It looked like we were moving for a week. <laughs> So anyway, the, the, the wigwag obviously wasn't working and, and uh, that wasn't going to happen. And my uncle, for those, for those out there who knew, knew that he, he could get interested in about anything. And one of the things he also was, besides a teacher, um, was he was also a church organist. And being the God-fearing man, I remember getting back into the Civic and, you know, he looked down at his charts and looked at me and he goes, well, Ken, he said, no is an answer to prayer as well. <laughs> so for better or for worse, he said, let's, uh, let's continue driving. He goes a little bit and we'll, we'll, uh, let, we, we, maybe we can see the trestle at South Lineboro. He, he had some old photographs of it before it was replaced and of course, I'm a neophyte to all of this BNM, all of the BNM archaeology, and I just, you know, my world was Ocean Park, and the meets there, and the freights, and sometimes Melrose Highlands. Outside of that, I knew nothing. But he had taken, you know, head end rides and moguls on on the Claremont and Concord, and had been on railroad enthusiast trips over the viaduct on the Central Mass. Just some wonderful stories that I could only picture and eventually places we visited. But there, there was always something fascinating that he had to tell. Um, and so as we happened along, um, sure enough, there was a Dunkin Donuts. And he looked at me and he said, well, Ken, you know, nothing a good Dunkin Donut can't cure. <laughs> Let's go I, grab one. I so, readily yeah. agree with that statement <laughs> or in many cases, an iced coffee. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth? Oh, I'm I'm sure it is for a lot of people. A lot of people. Well, that Boston cream went down pretty well. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so we, you know, decided to make a day of it anyway. So we pull out of the Dunkin' Donuts and we're driving down. I think it's 101, right by there, I believe. Um, 
Maybe not. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Any, yeah. So we're driving along, and and uh, so we pass. You know, we're going along by the tracks, and and he looks over, and he and he looks, and he says, "Hmm." He says, "That's interesting." I said, "What is interesting?" And he said, "Well, he goes, stop the car for a moment. Let let's go back a ways." Didn't know what he was looking back for. All I saw was tracks and grass and trees. And sure enough, we pull, he goes, stop the car. And he goes, you see that? And I'm looking. And I said, no, not really. He goes, you see that post over there? Yeah, I see that. And, and he goes, he goes, N, Nashville. He goes, K, Keen. He goes, that's fascinating. And didn't mean anything to me. And he, and I said, why? Why is that so fascinating? And he goes, this line hasn't gone to Keene for years. And I said, oh, maybe, well, that is kind of neat because I, I didn't know, you know, like I said, I was a beginner in all this, this ferro-equinological archaeology of the B&M. I had no idea that, you know, the line from Elmwood to Keene had come up in 38. I, for all I knew, it still went to Keene. And, and this this is when I realized there was just so much I to learn and that that was coming. And I said, well, that's interesting. And we passed a couple of other posts and we went to the um, uh, we went to South Lineboro and he goes, well, why don't we go a little bit further? He goes, I'm curious about what's around Bennington. And I said, OK, that uh, that sounds like fun. Let's go. I'll 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 scout. So we went around. And sure enough, you know, we're headed down uh, south of Bennington or now, let me see, south of Hillsboro. That's right. And, uh, and he goes, Ken, stop the car. And so I stopped and he, he goes, look at what I see. And now I had a little bit more idea what he was looking at. And I, of course, I'm expecting to see another post with N and K while it had W and C on it. Mm. And for Worcester, and at that point, you know, neither one of us were sure if the sea was conquered or Kentucky. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly for you people. <laughs> I heard Kentucky was a, a way to pronounce it at the general store there, but I'm still not sure. But so I said, and so he told me what the line was and pulled it out. And only then when I saw the map did I realize how much of New Hampshire was railroaded and over railroad. I said, my gosh. And he and I said, well, I said, do you think all B&M mileposts had different letters on both sides? He said, well, <laughs> wouldn't that be interesting to find out? Maybe we can do a little looking into it. Oh, boy, I opened up the can of worms then. <laughs> and yeah, little, little, I, did you, little did you know. <laughs> little did I know what was coming next. Uh, I'll tell you, it was... Uh, that was essentially the birth of what he would call later on, and he coined the term, being a Latin, the Latin teacher that he was, he, he called the study of milepost miliariology. And mill, I believe, meaning stone, and ology, of course, the study of, so the study of mileposts. And that's what we, we uh, re referred to it as. Throw in a little interesting point, getting back to the Manchester and Keene. I don't know if you've ever been to the uh, preserved uh, depot in Harrisville, New Hampshire, but 
there's a private driveway pretty much directly across from the depot. And at the end of the driveway, there are actually two mile posts from the Manchester and Keene. Uh, the number, the numbers are the mileage on the post escapes me at the moment. I got the photos buried in my archives somewhere, but um, I remember years ago, I stopped to uh, photograph the depot because obviously that's, you know, in plain sight on the road, but I was getting back into my car and I just happened to be parked facing that driveway across the street. And I looked at them and I was like, oh my God, I mean, these posts, they can, they can be right along the right of way, or they can also be pretty well hidden too, which is what's pretty fascinating about these when you go to look for them. Yeah. And there's no question about that. And that was uh, one of the points that we were going to talk about a bit later with our point. And there's, you can find the mileposts anywhere. And that's one of the things I've said about them is that they don't disappear from the face of the earth. They're, right. they're all somewhere right. for, the, for the most part. And that's what makes this kind of a really fun treasure hunt if, if you're into looking for things. And as I'll probably say again down, down the road here, when, when you're out looking, especially for the mileposts, or if you're doing any of that archaeology work and, and hunting on the BNM, you you never want the sun to go right down at that moment because you know somehow that if you were to drive that extra quarter mile, you'd come upon something absolutely fascinating. <laughs> and you got to go back someday. And and that that's a lot of, of, of what what it's all about. I couldn't agree with you more. There have been very few times that I've gone out exploring uh, active or abandoned lines that I've gone home thinking that I was 100% totally done with a location. Even locations I've been to multiple times, I mean, I often revisit just because you never, you never quite know what you may have just overlooked the first time you were there. Or maybe like the, the sunlight wasn't uh, filtering through the trees properly or for you to see something hidden in the foliage or it's just pretty incredible. Like when you go to these locations and go to them and, you know, go to them in the winter, summer, fall. I mean, different, uh, you know, when the leaves are down and before there's snow, I always think that's the best time to be doing this sort of thing. Like no November. question, especially yeah. if you're looking for a roadbed, there's no boy, do they stick out with the light snow? Yeah. Oh yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, uncle Ted always said, and he had a lot of sayings, which were, which were fun, but he, he said, you know, Ken, the return trip is never the same. And it's true. Mm. You know, and you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And actually, one other thing that I've noticed, I mean, I, I didn't start out with my B&M interest as a milepost guy either. It kind of just sort of happened by default as I was, um, I started trying to catalog as many of the old stations as I could. And that then sort of led to my interest also in mileposts and other sort of infrastructure. But um, yeah. one one thing that I have noticed, I think a lot of other B&M fans have probably noticed, there are two distinct types of these mileposts. I've seen the flat-faced uh, granite mileposts, then the triangular concrete mileposts. Uh, were you or your uncle ever able to discern logic as to you know which type of post could be found on like which type of line, be it like branch line, main line? Was there ever any research you guys did into that? Yeah. <laughs> You come up with the toughest question first. I appreciate that. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> Rydell. <laughs> um, 
The answer is no. One of the things Uncle Ted always did was with his students, and he considered me one of those. <laughs> he would he would say, Ken, I put the stake here, and it's up to my students to move it, which he always welcomed. So mm -hmm. with this question, it, it, kind of the same thing for me. All I all I can discern, and I've just recently been in, in touch with another BM Historical Society member who's who's going to lend his expertise to help me kind of piece more of this together as it as it's come back about. Because I had left this pretty latent for 20 years, figuring mileposts, it was probably almost like my teach my uncle teaching Latin, you know, the eyes glaze over and, and whatnot. But there's so much fascinating stuff and the questions that come about are, you know, as, as, as I say with this, you answer one question and so many more seem to come along, you know, and that's, and the mileposts have lent itself to that like a blossoming. So I'm gonna, the best I can discern in thinking about now, I haven't been every possible place on the B&M um, and I know, most, if not at least a little bit, about all of you know all of the lines or most of them anyway. And the one, the only thing I can figure is the granite posts were put on the more substantial main lines, but then it brings the question to mind: lines like the uh, like Claremont and Concord. I don't really think that was a substantial line. I can be corrected on this. I understand I'm open for corrections, not a problem. That's hopefully this is opening discussions. <laughs> uh, but so I, the, the Claremont and Concord had granite mile posts. Um, and then what I can discern is the uh, triangular cement uh, mile posts were uh, used more for the branch lines in as best as I can as I can figure, that seems to have been pretty much what I've discovered. There are triangular posts that you can find in Lawrence. And if you ride, ride the T out to Haverhill, uh, last I knew, now you have to realize some of, some of these areas I haven't been out to in some time, but there was a triangular post out there, uh, had B and P on it. I think it had, yeah, B and P actually, and must have been a replacement for a derailment that happened there, or the granite post got knocked over somehow. Uh, the same also, there's one at North Berwick, if you ride the Down Easter, there used to be one uh, there. And oh, I'll, I'll say here, one of my uncle, again, big into the teaching, loved axioms and corollaries. <laughs> one of the axioms was that uh, the mileposts on the Boston and Maine and the Maine Central, um, with the exception of the Mountain Division, for the most part, uh, all the mileposts are on the right outbound from Boston. Uh, mm -hmm. So it, there, so you might be able to see the replacement post at Lawrence. Of course, I'm sure it's been painted, uh, maybe B and B or whatnot. But if you look closely enough, and it's triangular, it is engraved B and P. Uh, likewise, there's one just beyond the Route 4 crossing at North Berwick, and there's one at West Fit, I, what I call West Fitchburg, or just beyond Fitchburg. That was, uh, that's B50. But for the most part, the, the main lines, the best I can discern, are granite and triangular cement. There is 
two, there are two instances of flat cement mileposts, rectangular, um, but more of a flat, uh, almost like a, you know, a, a two by four board, but they were made of cement. Uh, I think B114P something, or I can't remember on the, I think it's P14B, and I don't know what the mileage adds up to offhand uh, for the Eastern Division, but there's one of those posts on the Eastern in Biddeford. <clears throat> and I believe, but I'm not sure, because I've only seen one post on the Manchester and Portsmouth branch, that those might have been all flat cement. Now, I can't be sure because I've only seen one. Uh, and I've traipsed a decent portion of the line, but have had no luck finding any posts. But there was a P1M39 in Portsmouth. Um, so I can only go on the assumption that that is um, that the whole line was that. But if other people see stuff, let me know. Let me know. I want to. I want to piece it together. So, and the the interesting thing about this too, Andrew, is you would think with all of the expense, I'm going to assume granite's expensive, or was more expensive than cement. I'm going to go in that assumption, and you would have thought. And of course, the mileposts, a lot of the BNM mileposts, especially Maine Central you know, five, six, seven feet above ground, think how far down into the ground they were, four or five feet anyway. They're probably 12 feet, feet in length when you come down to it. Right, right. And you would have thought with the more expensive granite, they would have engraved those and painted the cement ones. But the opposite is right, actually, right. actually the truth. So the only exception that I've been able to find to the engravings of uh, of the granite posts, which which they weren't, were mile posts on the western coming out of Boston. Um, passengers, people who who ride the western, or if you're going to ride it, you'll notice yeah. the posts. I think the first one that you see is S is um, B three. I think, think uh, is Wellington. Yeah, but there's you, um, B. B1 and B2 also, I, 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 well, I used to, when I was working in Boston, I used to ride that every day from Wyoming Hill. And actually there were on even that ride, I passed uh, B1, which is uh, sort of right where the New Hampshire main uh, elevates uh, beyond the uh, Western at the junction. Then B2. Up, up on the hill? Yeah, slightly. I, so I, I think, I think I think that that post up on the hill is for the New Hampshire division. Gotcha. So there is um, there's B2. I'm not sure if it's technically on the eastern or the western, but it's right right where the two lines split. And then the uh, eastern heads over the Mystic River right. uh, just before the new uh, Encore Casino these days. Yes, yeah, so there is B2. Then just south of Wyoming Hill or uh, Wyoming, as B&M terminology would refer to it as, uh, B6 is maybe a quarter mile south of uh, Wyoming Hill Station. And yeah. I believe that's on both sides. I believe it is a B. I think, yeah. I'm guessing maybe in modern days, the MBTA painted over it or something. Right. Well, it'd be interesting. I think the way you're going to be able to tell that now is if you ride the Western and we'll, we'll, we'll just take B3 as, a, as, as, a, uh, as an example, okay, in Wellington. Uh, if you notice, 
at least, and now I haven't ridden for a long time out there, but Amtrak, when they took over, uh, took, o- took over the Western and, and, and the North routes of Boston, painted them with B on both sides, but you will notice, and this might be how you can discern the difference between an Eastern post and a Western post, uh, is that the B on the outbound side of the posts on the Western route is offset. And that's because they painted the B of what used to be the engraved SB, South right. Berwick Mile. Yeah, South Berwick, yep. Yeah, wow. so you can tell that way. So if, if any of you happen to ride out that way, take a look and you'll notice the B is off center. And that's because it's the B of South Berwick. Now, I've obviously tried to see if the confined posts all the way to South Berwick, but the, uh, the easternmost South Berwick engraved post I could find was uh, east of Newton Junction. But if anybody sees anything different, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Ken, I do want to circle back on to how sometimes these mile posts sort of, quote unquote, disappear but then reappear in different areas um it seems honestly that they many are still found along the right of way be it active or abandoned but many can be seen in different locations transplanted either after the line has been abandoned or the post is obsolete due to the end of the line changing or due to ownership changing um have you been able to locate many of these transplants over the years uh what, what are some of the more, if you have, what are some of the more surprising locations you've been able to find some of these BNM transplants in? Yeah, well, when it comes to surprising locations, Andrew, I've, I've found that uh, you can never be too surprised where you, where you might find mileposts. I'm, I'm sure most everybody listening uh, knows that mileposts have been removed um, and taken and you know, when I when I started putting an anthology together of all my findings or whatever, I uh, not that I had an outlet. I thought maybe something for the newsletter someday or but then I was thinking, what if these what if some of this information gets into the hands of people that, gee, all right, thanks for telling me where that milepost is. Uh, maybe I can go and get it sometime. Certainly not. I'm, I'm not talking about our Boston and Maine friends here, but you never know where stuff like this can end up in information and, and, and whatnot. And I thought, because I'm a firm believer that you, you and I are lucky in that we, we can go out and still see bits and pieces of what was there. Right. Um, right. We're, we're at that age where the B&M hasn't been gone so long that there aren't a decent amount of remnants. Well, if right. people keep people keep taking things, nobody's going to enjoy, you know, like like I do and, and you do coming across a milepost somewhere that is still, although barely readable, it is readable. I mean, that can be a great find in a day, a thrill. Right, and, right. And we're not going to be the last people who will want to do some of this work and will, you know, will want to go out and do this treasure hunting. So um, it's sometimes, although it's neat to find mileposts where they otherwise shouldn't be, 
Um, it's a little disheartening as well, but in, and some are preserved. It's obvious some people that took them took the time to repaint them to their lettering. Um, and and that's, that's a good thing, I guess. And other people took the granite posts, especially just for to put as one of them, there's a couple WNP posts um, coming into uh, Gorham, uh, in, in Gorham, and some guy has them on, on both sides of his driveway, he uses it as part of his fencing, but never repainted numbers or anything. But you know, they're mile posts just because of the flat surface on them. That's certainly they were there. And when I saw them, they were barely, barely readable, but there, there was a little bit left. Um, and that being said, a lot of the WN and post, WN and P posts uh, were pulled up uh, after the Sanford and Eastern was done, I guess. I, the story goes, some guy cherry picked a whole bunch of them and gave them to his friends uh, in and around, you know, Sanford area, Gorham area. Yeah, I, I think about <laughs> if you drive up, uh, I think, yeah, it's 202 uh, into, into Gorham. If you're coming from the south, well, one person has the WNP posts. Yes, they have two of them in their yard. One of them is painted with the correct, the correct mileage for, I think it's W124 for Worcester and P23 or it's P24120, I think it's W123. But anyway, and the other post, he painted H on one side and G on the other. And it took a long time to figure out, but he put the mileage for Hollis, is six miles, H6 <laughs> and G3, Gorham three miles. So guess I got to hand it to him. What are you going to do? But yeah. it just shows, yeah. <laughs> You you can you can find these posts anyway anywhere if if you know or have an idea what you're looking for especially the triangular ones there mm. and we found them you know in in various and sundry places one place one place that this this is fun my my uncle and I we were also since we lived in Old Orchard he always said there's so much ferroequinological archaeology all around us. We didn't have to travel 20 minutes to really begin to find between the WNNP, the Eastern, the Western, you know, Portland Terminal, the main central. Well, one of them was the PLI, the Portland Lewiston Interurban. We decided to see if we could find that trolley line headed up to Lewiston. Well, trolley lines are very hard to find, but there's enough of it left. And we poked it. And... Um, so and now I'm going to have to circle back around here just for a moment, if I may. Uh, it got to be when, when we did a bit of the milepost work and we were in places, you know, either out around Kentucky or, or wherever where the mileposts, if, if, you, if you walked, uh, might be even very tough to find. I think about the, the Merrimack branch, all the at least... Uh, some time ago, several years ago, all the posts existed, but only two were left standing. The others were buried in leaves and whatnot, but we found all of them. And my uncle was digging one day, uh, and, and it was uh, right around Christmas, as I recall. And, and he, you know, was 
Doug, Doug just, he thought he saw something, Doug a bit, and he started singing. He, he As he does being the church organist, he started singing. He said, do you see what I see? <laughs> and I said, what, what are we looking at? You know? And he goes, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we dug, and there's NJ3M2, you know, buried in. So whenever we went around and about, and especially if we saw mileposts in odd places, he would, he or I would start singing or humming that. So we're in New Gloucester, Maine, and we're hunting the, the PLI, and you know, trolleys could go up hills, down hills, whatever. So you never knew really where you could find them. Now we ended up out somewhere and sure enough, we're driving up and I'm going up this hill and I said, well, well I'm going to turn around in the driveway, you know, a couple driveways up. Well, we're driving up the hill and then I, I'm looking out in the corner of my eye. I said, uh, I, I turned to him while I started singing. I said, do you see what I see? <laughs> and my uncle turns to me and he goes, no, Ken, up here? No. <laughs> so we get up to the driveway at the top of the hill and we come back down. Sure enough, right in this guy's yard, there it is, B24N16. Well, <laughs> Uncle Ted and I had scouted the Newburyport branch yeah. some some years ago a few years previous and so i got out of the car onto the street took out the camera thought i'd take a few pictures while the gentleman came out of the house and he came up and i thought we were going to be yelled at because <clears throat> we we're a pretty residential neighborhood but he came up <clears throat> and he and he asked he said he said he said ken or i'm sorry he didn't say ken didn't know me he said so he goes uh do you like that post? And I said, I do. I said, my only question is, I want to know, I'd like to know how you got it from Topsfield, Mass, up to New, your home in New Gloucester here in Maine. And well, <laughs> the biggest blank stare went on his face. And of course, my uncle's over there with tongue in cheek. He's about ready to burst out laughing. And, and so we got back into the car and he as he often liked to say, Ken looked like that gentleman swallowed ginger ale backwards. <laughs> so if you want to talk about surprising locations and the proof that you can find mileposts, B&M or whatnot, anywhere, there's your proof. You just never know. I don't recommend that you have your head turned to the side while you're driving your drive to work every day. Don't do it. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, good, good advice, especially on those uh, winding main country roads. I'd agree with. Yeah, or I'm thinking rush hour anywhere around Boston too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, the, these posts, I mean, they can be found close to the city, as we've discussed. I was uh, recently on the Northern Strand Rail Trail, which is which was the former B&M Saugus branch, and I found uh, uh, the mile post for uh, West Lynn and uh boston b for boston on one side uh wl for west lynn on the other side and it was yeah. it was interesting to see the west lynn as opposed to regular lynn but and, uh, yep that that's wonderful and it's so glad that's still there i mean these are the pieces of the puzzle that are hard to put together after all these years you you, you can you can look at the track profiles and sometimes they don't jive with what you see not that 
I, I don't um, I don't know the profile and the the lines. There are so many lines around Boston. It was hard enough to figure out New Hampshire. Never mind Boston. I mean, I you know I've spent enough time in Boston with grandparents in Melrose and 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 whatnot, but not enough time to scour around. So any finds like that are wonderful. And it's also just because the profiles say what it is doesn't mean it necessarily is that. And my example is the MNL, the Manchester and Lawrence, because by profile, it shows M and SL for the mileposts. Yet the posts that are out there in the field are M and L. Now, someone can find a milepost that's, you know, M and SL. Wonderful. <laughs> Let me know. I want to go see it. Send pictures. <laughs> but so that's why it's fun to go for the, you know, as my uncle always said, the proof is in the pudding. And uh, that's where all the questions come up. You begin to look at track charts and go, oh, no. You know, were there posts before this? Uh, how come these are that way? And he'd always say to, you know, well, gravy's still lumpy. Well, it's very lumpy with a, with, a, with a lot of this stuff, but it's a lot of fun. You know, if you're into doing research and checking what's out in the field with profiles, this, this is, this, it's just fascinating. It really is, especially when you come upon something like the WL post that's still there. Um, just little treasures like that make it so much fun, putting a piece, piece of the puzzle together. Exactly. Like um, another, so, uh, this was actually a photo that you and I have uh, discussed prior to this interview, Ken, but I do want to touch on uh, at the end of the uh, Marblehead branch, there was actually a Marblehead zero mile post. And I, I didn't even realize that on some branch lines, this mile post zero was actually a thing. And that, that was pretty fascinating for me to learn. Do you, do you have any additional information into the mile post zeros? Like were they on every branch line, do you think, or just uh, case by case? You know, in thinking about that, Andrew, and of course, I'm going to have to defer to uh, some people, you know, that have privy to a lot more information than I have. And, and I've been making some more connections here uh, throughout the years, people who are actually interested like you are in, in all of this. So there's, I, I don't have the answers to all the questions um, I have answers to a lot, but not, <laughs> not probably half as many as I think every question brings up so many more. <clears throat> I, I have to say with the branches, all the branches that I've seen, yeah. Uh, and of course, when you talk branches on the B&M, thinking of something off of a main line, essentially. And I think I have to go with the answer that yes, that all the branches began with a zero mile post. Um, I, I found in existence and have pictures of NJ zero, Newton Junction zero. If you go by on the down Easter, that post to the Merrimack branch probably is still there. Um, and actually the Georgetown branch, um, if you go by, uh, is it right out of uh, Haverhill before you cross the river, yeah, um, used to be, and I think it's been removed. I, I've been. Yeah, told I know exactly what you're talking about, and that was yeah. actually there up until, God, I want to say maybe seven or eight years ago. I rode by on a down easter train, and I saw it, and I was like, "Oh wow, that's really cool." And uh, yeah, 
more recently, I went back to where they've now built the rail trail and I was walking on it. I was hoping to get a closer view of that post, but I could see even from the distance that it was clearly gone. So I don't know if construction workers removed it when they built the trail or, you know, if some uh, collector happened to get it, but it's a shame because that was, that was a real neat piece of uh, history right there. Yeah. The, the world, you know, it, it's like, uh, for those of us who are old enough to remember, you know, how many licks does it take to get to the, the center of a Tootsie Roll pop? The, the world may never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do have pictures of that anyway, B0, G6. And it is interesting to note that at the, at the, um, at the Y in Georgetown, there was a B6, G0. Quick fun story on that was um, Uncle Ted and I were out once doing some, some miliariology down and around that area. And we went down to the Y and he goes, well, this is where, you know, if there were a G0, B6, uh, this is where it would be. No, no luck, no luck. And he, so we, we made another trek down a few years later to look at some other things. And he goes, Ken, let's go back over to the Y. And I said, well, we couldn't find the post. And he had the, he had the diagram of Georgetown, which was in one of the bulletins printed out. <clears throat> he goes, stop the car. And I stopped the car and he took the diagram and he flipped it upside down. And he goes, we're in the wrong location on the Y. <laughs> Lo and behold, we, we drove to where he thought it might be. We walked around in the, in the pucker and the leaves and the mud and whatever. And sure enough, sticking barely out of the leaves was this grayish sand-like thing sticking up. And I put my fingers down and, and could reach in into the mud and feel the engraving. And there lying, lying down in the muck face down was G0B6. Unbelievable. Wow. Unbelievable. So, and you do have to wonder, could that, could that still be there? You know, how many people do you think even were aware that that was there buried deep under the soil? Right. Well, hopefully somebody has saved it. Uh, yeah. And, and who knows? Um, but uh, yes, <clears throat> there was supposedly an I zero intervale zero at the end of the line of the Conway branch. Um, my uncle didn't believe it, but there's a post up in Conway Scenic painted I zero. And he, he often said, Ken, do you believe this? And I said, well, I zero B140. Yeah. And, and uh, so we thought about that. And yes, you, as you referenced the marble head, even at the end of the marble head branch, some of these had zeros at the end. Fascinating. And, you know, the marble head branch had M zero B17. Um, obviously started from, from Boston. And I think there's a picture of, I think, I want to say Harry Fry, but I'm not sure, in the B&M Bulletin, um, with his arm resting on what was A0LJ25 for Lowell Junction. So. Oh, yeah, air to Lowell, yeah, air to Lowell Junction. Yeah, yeah. Now, where that post is, I've gone many times there to say, no, I just wish that post, you know, I've tried to figure it out can't figure it out, but who knows, somebody here might know where it is and, and whatnot. So yeah, the zero mile posts, they're, they're fascinating and they're fun to find, but it brings up again, a lot more questions about, you know, like the, uh, the, the line to Henniker Junction from Manchester, 
there was an M1 HJ24. Some gentleman just told me he took pictures of it where he, he found one of the posts underwater while diving. <laughs> and it was preserved. I didn't know the other letters for, uh, for, for, for the line. And I thought it was NW for Northware, but he said, no, it was HJ. And it is by profile. But yeah, posts can be anywhere. But it begged the question, was there an M0 HJ25 at Manchester? With all the lines coming in, who knows? But, yeah, and that actually uh, segues pretty nicely into uh, what I was thinking of next. Um, I mean, you've you and your uncle really scoured the B and M system. You went to a lot of, you know, as we know, the B and M at one point it went to a lot of sort of small, rural, obscure locations. And uh, what are some of the more obscure mileposts you've been able to? locate over the years, be it like lines that have been abandoned for a very long time, or just uh, sort of lines that, you know, maybe some Boston and Maine enthusiasts wouldn't necessarily think of off the tops of their heads, but in fact still do retain some of these mile posts. Yeah, that's, um, that, that's a great question. And we, you know, we haven't scoured all of the countryside up you know, in, in a lot of the reaches you, cause when you walk one way, you still got to get back to your car. <laughs> right, right, right. But, but with the profiles, you can at least figure out about, about where they were. And so when it comes to obscure ones and um, the fun ones, it, it kind of goes a little bit with what we were talking about before where you can find them in various and sundry places, for example, uh, I know that Bristol, the Bristol branch is right. one of your favorites. And one of mine, we went to Bristol. I remember walking down to the, it's the Pema Jawasset, right? Um, yep. Walking down there and boy, just getting down to the bottom of the hill was quite the trek. And, but. Uh, You'll be happy to know the built a path down to the station site for for many, many years, I yearned to get down there, but thought it was totally inaccessible due to flooding. But uh, right. it's good good to know people were able to access it beforehand. But they have uh, the town of Bristol is building a park down there, and they're going to build a, a trail through through the woods. I think all the way down to Profile Falls eventually. Just as a little little side note, but I guess that didn't stop you and your uncle, so that's good to hear. Uh, <laughs> all I remember was ripped up road and going down. I mean, steep embankment. Yep. And just trying to see if it. I'm glad they're building these things, especially for people my age. <laughs> Makes it more accessible again. That's good. That's good. But um, yeah, one of, one of the posts that we found was uh, F7B6. Now that was at Hill. And yep. obviously Hill was done under with the, the project, the, uh, the water project there. Um, but we found it in front of the general store out there. So if anybody driving by there at least last i knew you could see that that post and it's triangular uh that was saved as as well um one of my fun ones is for those of you especially in the southern maine northern massachusetts area not too far to drive um it most of route 236 uh probably a lot of you know uh was the old uh portland great falls and conway you know, going up to uh, uh, going up to North Conway, and <clears throat> you know, I've been I've driven it several times. But the the fascinating 
thing is there's still a couple posts and they're along kind of the right of way. Now in South Berwick, there's, there's an auto, I think it's a little auto shop or, or a little shop uh, for uh, where they work on cars right by the church that, that crosses, that meets uh, Route 4, I believe it is, um, coming down into Rollinsford. Well, if you cross just about right over that and, and into this little uh, auto body shop area, whatever, and it, there's a post right there and it's still very readable, um, I-71B69, of course, the I being for Intervale. And if you backtrack on 236, set your odometer one mile, you will find a really obscure post. Sure enough, driving on 236, you come along around a curve heading down towards Jewett. Way up on the hillside is a mile post, which would have been what I, I-72B68. Not readable at all, but it's up the embankment in the trees, had to be a mile post. So one of the things that I'll touch upon later is you got to look around because you never know where these might be found. Probably, you know, we found H4E2 for Hamilton 4 Essex 2. Mm, wow. Yes, we were poke, poking the old uh, line to Konomo. I hope I pronounced that right. Sorry if I didn't. I know most of the mass towns how to pronounce them correctly. Maybe I got that one wrong, but I think Konomo <laughs> is right. Thinking I've always wondered if any posts have existed on that old Essex line. That's one. I don't live that far from there, but for some reason, I just haven't really thoroughly explored that right of way. But uh, I've always wondered if uh, anything remains on there because it's been abandoned for a very, we'll, very we'll long need time. to go out. We'll need to explore. You don't know what. But this was not on the right of way. It was in somebody's yard. We just. Oh, okay. and, and once again, my my uncle chimed in. As we went by and I said, you got to be kidding. Sure enough, wow. in somebody's yard. I think it, to top it all off, the culminating of all of this was uh, when we used to take an annual junket out to the White Mountains, whether it was uh, to find the old line from putting pond on the main central or whatever. Uncle Ted would always come up with a bunch of questions and let's go looking for this, you know, the old logging roadbed or something. Well, we were at Wing Road because we wanted to see if any mileposts were still painted on the line up that way up from Littleton. And our court, we did find some. And, and uh, so we, we had, took some pictures of those. And he goes, and I said, uh, well, I said, what about, uh, what about branching off? And he goes, Ken. <laughs> He goes, there can't be much left of this, the line to Fabians. And, mm -hmm. I, and I said, you know, I wrote this off. We had written this off long time ago as never being able to know what the mileposts were. Sure enough, we, we were driving along up, up towards Fabian, trying to follow the line as best we could using the old topos. And we, sure enough, he chimed in. Do you see what I see? And I went, you have got to be kidding. You have got to be kidding. And we turned right around, came back. Sure enough, there was a mile post going, going right. I just couldn't believe it in the snow and readable. And it was C123F11. Wow. And 
And that kind of became our calling card. My mother, even after my uncle passed away, made me a little pencil box because I'm a teacher and had it engraved on the outside F11. Who knew? Who knew that you would still find that so many years later in the middle of practically nowhere? So if any of you go up there and you know how to follow the line a little bit, you might be able to still find that post just fast. We never thought we'd figure out what what the line the Fabians had for lettering. We never figured that. So. And that's and that's just what's so amazing about this too is that these mile posts, they even some of these lines that have just been abandoned for so long, these mile posts, if they do still exist, they they sort of make the line definable in the woods, I guess you could say. You know, it's yep. it's, it's this concrete item that still remains even long after the railroad infrastructure the rails the ties may be long gone but you know oftentimes these mileposts do still remain which is what i find so fascinating about it as well yeah in which i find so important i i hope I'm, I'm, I'm sure none of your listeners would think of it but people still go out and people do take them let's hope they remain I personally think all mileposts should be historic landmarks because to me, yeah. to me, they are, they're, they're yeah. a part of our history. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's an artifact, just like, uh, you know, just like any other piece of like a historic building, historic, uh, you know, a, a famous bridge or stone wall or what have you. I mean, I feel in my opinion too, I feel like a milepost is no, no difference. It's just a piece of piece of the railroads history, which should, uh, get that yep. same sort of historical recognition as any uh, artifact yep. would. I well, we're, we're probably overall a smaller group of historians, railroad people are in the scheme of things. So some things may not seem so important, but to those of us, you know, th those are those are definitely historic markers. I, I had the pleasure this this summer, as a matter of fact, a friend of mine owned, owned a home in, in uh, Hancock. And uh, on the line to Bar Harbor, down to Mount Desert Ferry. Now, mm. now this is a fun one because this is the only line, and I know I'm delving into the main central, but I'm sure a lot of your listeners would enjoy this. I had de that, delve away. The the mile. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> the the mileage, the mile posts on on the line to Bar Harbor were the mile posts included the ferry trip from Mount Desert Island to Bar Harbor. It's the only instance I know of, and I don't know anywhere in the United States, actually, it might be, I'm, I'm not gonna do all that research, but nowhere else do I know of that the mileposts included the ferry trip to Bar Harbor. And I'm sure it's because the Maine Central also ran, I, I believe, and I may be totally corrected on this, also ran the ferry over to Bar Harbor. Right. So, wow. Yeah, it's fascinating. And there yeah, are there are a couple uh... posts left. And one of the posts happened to be on my friend's, uh, his next door neighbor's property. And the guy just mm -hmm. bought the house with the understanding, and I was shocked, but with the understanding that the post was a historical marker. So mm -hmm. this summer I went through and thanked Thank you to um, whoever put the letters, uh, the old, uh, the fonts, uh, Ken, I can't think of his name offhand, but he put the fonts for the B&M and I'm sure, that, I think they were the same for the main central. 
and I was able to copy those fonts and draw up stenciling. And my friend got permission from that gentleman to go onto his property and to paint the milepost to the mileage that it was. So it now has P179 on one side and BH6, uh, BH8 on the other side. Wow. So oh, wow. It, that, it was, that's it, fantastic. Yeah, it was fun to save a bit of a bit of history and, and a funny story. Quick one is that my uncle told me the story of a woman who, and I don't know if he was on the train or not on the Bar Harbor Express, who had probably started in New York. I'm not, uh, not offhand. I don't know offhand where it began. I want to say Washington. But anyway, so she rode through the night, but with all the changes of the cars at the passenger cars at the various places, she wasn't sure if she was on the right train. And so she got awoken by the sun in the morning and was riding the train. And, and she went to the conductor and, and, the, and she said, uh, conductor, um, does this train stop at Mount Desert Ferry? And the conductor replied, God help us if it doesn't. <laughs> 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 so, um, always, always nice to hear those little, uh, little anecdotes here and there. Oh, it's fine. Uncle Ted was full of them. You know, if I could just remember half of the stories, but, you know, uh, that was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. So I guess, Ken, to sort of uh, wrap us up here for uh, this session, uh, how, how in general have studying these mileposts given you a greater insight to the BNM as a whole? Uh, you know, just because, I mean, this, uh, all this uh, research that you did with your uncle and continue to do, you know, it, it really brings you to all corners of the system. And it just must have been a great way for you to really appreciate the railroad as a whole and the diversity of all the locations the railroad served. I think you summed it up pretty well there, Andrew. You, you definitely, and then that's what this is about. You know, we all try to hold on to that bit of history that we remember and so fondly knew. Um, I think one of my big insights how over railroaded New Hampshire was and how confusing it is to keep it all straight in your mind. <laughs> right. Especially, especially the northern section. It's, oh. it's like a, I, I still pretty often look at, you know, old maps or gazette, uh, the Delorme gazetteers when I'm trying to research something. It's, it's tough to wrap your head around the density of those rail lines north of the White Mountains. Oh, oh, it is. It is. But it's fun. Oh, yeah. And of course, wanting to find the milepost makes it even much more fun. And it's, it's brought me to places in New England, you know, if nothing else, my, my wife enjoys doing this as well. She loves looking for old stations and she can spot mileposts pretty well. And it has brought us to places we just otherwise wouldn't go. Um, right, you know, right, right. Somebody, somebody the other day said, well, they were going to, you know, New Hampshire for, for Christmas. And I said, where? And they said, oh, town called Henniker and I said I know where that is I said it's pretty yep. and they said how do you know where that is you ever been there I said if the railroad went through it I've been there <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. it's just given me that opportunity but to see all these places I mean I finally got to go to Peterborough yeah and I call I call it for me the quintessential New England town what a beautiful mm. location yeah. but it's enabled enabled me to do all that and to know where a lot of these nooks and crannies are in New England. And it's also given me an appreciation for the, the people 
that that are there, the history and the role the BNM played in it. You know, it, it's just mm. fascinating in reading the story. So many others have uh, wonderful little stories of how the BNM, you know, was a part of all of that. And um, I have to say again that. It seems like when one question comes up, so many more need to be answered in this. And it lends itself to, to so many other realms of, of research and wanting to know that it, it's, it's, just, it's just so much fun. It, it, really, it really is. And then connecting with a lot of people, that's what this is about to me, getting to know people, getting to know what they know. And you know, people like yourself, uh, who have taken the time and the interest. It's just fun to know others are actually interested in what you have interests in. Exactly. I mean, unfortunately, we're only getting further and further away from the Boston and Maine's active years. So it's, it's all the more important that, you know, more and more people and especially younger people start to get interested in this history because you know, unfortunately, within even my lifetime, there are going to be so many fewer people that have, you know, the firsthand knowledge of a lot of this history, the people who operated a freight train on the northern main line, or the people who, you know, maybe uh, did construction on like part of the eastern before it was abandoned, like you just you lose a little bit of that with each passing year. And it's just being able to catalog as much of that as we can and that's sort of uh the whole idea with you know with all, all of this is just learning as much as we can firsthand and you know getting out and also getting out there in the field too like i i love getting out in the field you know hiking a right of way trying to find something that maybe i've heard a rumor is there but i'm not certain is there and i'm like well i'll go try to find it for myself you know mm -hmm. Yeah, and there, there's no doubt about that. And, and, and I would say to everyone, you know, share what you got. Don't yep. keep it inside. Share it no, no matter what it is. Other people may know a lot about it. Some people may know little. As I, you know, you and I talked once and, and I told you about Tom Nelligan. I emailed him once. I had read his book and then saw he had a picture or two on, on a website. And I said, he, I said, I wrote to him and said, Tom, share all you got. I said, share all you got. That pictures are meant to be shared. And he yeah. wrote back to me and he said, you know, you're right, Ken. And then he said, I haven't had this much fun since college. He goes, I'm scanning and putting photos everywhere. But it just, this stuff is meant to be shared. And right, right. If, if we if we don't share it, it, it's lost. It's gone. It's gone for good. Some of it. Exactly. And, you know, it's it just, it does no good sitting on, sitting in somebody's attic in uh photo boxes or sitting on in a garage in some back road in the country somewhere. I mean, people, yeah, it's like the people who have this firsthand knowledge, you want to talk to them, you want to see what they know, how they came into possession of the knowledge and see who they, who they then know, because that could be another contact for you to make down the road. Yeah. I guess, I guess in, in wrapping up for those who want to go out and about, maybe a couple recommendations yeah i mean i can i my god i feel like every i try to get out as much as possible at least one or one or two times a month you know like even even if it's on a paved rail trail there's often uh 
I mean, in Weston, Wayland, they've just paved uh, the old central mass line, but they've kept all the all the mileposts intact. They've all been mm. very nicely restored, painted. Um, you know, yeah. uh, not too long ago, I just uh, took my little son out there in the stroller. You know, we just walked along, pointed out the milepost to him. You know, hopefully someday he'll be as interested in them as I am. And, uh, yep. Yeah, so the, I definitely recommend the central mass. Um, another obviously a, a rail trail that they've taken great care in the mile post restoration is the northern pretty much i think i think pretty much every post is intact from uh Boscowen all the way up to lebanon to my knowledge mm -hmm. I, I think they uh i think they found every single one uh, some of them had been removed from the right-of-way but i i believe um somebody out there i'm sure will correct me if i'm wrong on this but uh i think they've pretty much all been restored to the rail trail and they've all been repainted for Boston and White River Junction, which is uh, pretty, pretty incredible in this day and age. Yeah, it certainly is. And also, um, I walked a little bit of the uh, Hollis branch out of air. Mm. Very nice. The first smile post we came yep. upon fully restored, painted beautifully to just the way it would have looked if you had been riding head end on a B&M locomotive out of air. <laughs> yeah it's uh you know it's just pretty you know these posts really they just kind of add a little to the whole experience of walking an old right-of-way be it a rail trail or just a path in the woods you know you come across these old mile posts and you're like wow there's there's a piece of physical railroad history right in front of me you know and hopefully those those will remain there for years to come as more and more hopefully more and more people like us will appreciate them and you know do what it takes to make sure they get respected and properly cared for yep yep there's no doubt about it so if you head out and about you know please feel free to contact me i'd love to be contacted just say make sure you know you you pack any and all resources you never know where any yeah. of your research is going to lead you pack your hiking boots pack a lunch yeah. Yeah. Pack, pack, pack your mosquito spray. <laughs> right, right. Mosquito spray, uh, sunscreen, and always, always, always bring a camera. That's right. And as the old commercial used to say, be curious, my friends. <laughs> yep, because unfortunately, as we know, you know, if you see something, always document it because you, you just you just never know. You know, sometimes something you think will be there forever. You you can occasionally be unpleasantly surprised. So I, I always document whatever I can right when I see it. That that's that's wonderful, and so many people have, and and uh, that that's the thing to go by. You're right. You just don't know if it's still going to be there the next time around. Yep. As well, my as my grandmother used to say, "Take tots while they're past." <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Ken, I want to thank you for all your time this evening, and uh, anytime you want to talk mile posts again, I definitely hope you'll uh, rejoin us. Well, I, I would certainly love to, Andrew. Uh, thank you for having me tonight. I, I, I hope uh, your listeners uh, take something away from the conversation. If nothing else, maybe a laugh or two. Thanks for your time and interest. Yep. And anytime, Ken, uh, we look forward to uh, talking to you again sometime and you have a great night. Yeah, I would love to. All right. You have a great night as well. Thank you much, Andrew. That wraps up this week's episode of High Green. If you'd like to be on the show or know somebody who might have some interesting stories about the Boston and Maine Railroad or its legacy, please reach out to us. You can email us at bmrrhs at gmail.com or send us a message right on Facebook. 